It's Monday the 4th of November 2019. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. I'm joined this week by Meg Matic, a translator and poet. She translated Magnus Sjöldsson's Cold Moons and is currently working on translating two novels for simultaneous release in the US and the UK. Meg is a member of the Icelandic Writers' Union and is the founder of the Poetry Brothel in Reykjavik. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> now, today is also the day we record the third monthly The Week in Iceland at the Library programme, uh, where a small audience will discuss the issues brought up in this very show. So we need to be extra interesting, I'm afraid. Um, I'll give more details on the library project at the end of the programme, but first, here's the news. It might have seen that the collective bargaining was all over back in the spring, but several important sectors are still without contracts, including domestic pilots and journalists, who are both entering into industrial action. A new report supported with government funding has found there are significant barriers for immigrants who want to work for public sector government agencies in Iceland. Katrín Jakobsdóttir's government has now officially passed the halfway point in its four-year term, to the surprise of many. The economy is faring better than most experts feared, even though they do mostly all agree there will be a small recession this year. Disabled activist Freya Haraldsdottir has won her case to be allowed to take a course for prospective foster parents, with the court ruling she should have been vetted in the same way as any other applicant. The Bishop of Iceland has apologised to the LGBTQ community for the church's stance on same-sex marriage in years gone by, And new figures show that 27 people per day, on average, moved to Iceland in July, August and September. There are now 10,000 more men in the country than women. So, where would you like to begin? Um, I'm interested in this growing population. Um, I had no idea that 27 people moved to Iceland per day during the summer, um, which can be predicted, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's the the high period for for the tourism industry, so that probably drags people in and other industry, uh, construction as well. I suppose there's a lot more of that in the summer. Yeah, and it it seems to tie into some of these other stories that are going on, um, particularly workers' rights and um, sort of wages and entry into the into the public sector, and then also union wage agreements in the private sector. Um, and the question being how we're going to actually protect those people and see to their welfare and prosperity while they're here. Mm, that's something that comes up again and again, the the abuse of foreign workers. Um, I don't know if you know anyone that's been in that situation. I think we all hit stories, don't we? Yeah, we do. Um, uh, last year, I myself was in the same situation, actually, um, and I nearly lost my residence permit um, to remain in Iceland after sort of struggling to be here for many years. Um, because an employer screwed you over, for want of a better word. <laughs> for lack of a better word, yeah, um, because I, I suddenly found myself without a job um, after dealing with an abusive employer, actually an abusive boss, one man in particular, um, but was luckily sort of saved by... Um, a miraculous and brilliant woman at another company who read about my story, um, but there was no, there was no real union intervention after I lost the job, and there were really no protections for me. And since I hadn't expected to lose the job, I really hadn't educated myself, which I believe is one of the points that the Reiter report makes that. Uh, that immigrants who 
I mean, I th- it revolves around the public sector in their report, but immigrants really aren't aware of um, things like discrimination laws. They're not aware of what their rights are, um, how they can access education, and how they can access training. Um, and this is something that's really up to the government, I think, to regulate and to improve. The government, yes. Um, I, I, I understand there are certain things that go on here and there to, to try and do that. But it's a, it's, a, it's a battle, especially when there's people moving to the country the whole time. And it's a constant conveyor belt of having to inform people. And yeah, I, I guess the government is one. Um, the unions could probably do more. I don't know. Yeah, it it would be interesting to see if I'm not I'm not sure how this is how the program works. But I heard that there was going to be an immigrant education center set up, possibly as a part of this um, immigrant research fund, um, or possibly funded by them or orchestrated through them in some way, so that when you come into the country. Um, you can become more quickly aware of what your rights actually are and how to navigate the bureaucratic maze that is immigration. Mm. The the story that we started on with the, the 27 people per day, this does speak to the, to the notion that Iceland is still an attractive place to come and live and work, I suppose. Yeah. 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 Um, do you think, because you, you touched on the fact that it's, it was over the summer, um, is this going to be a year-round thing? <laughs> or is it specifically because of all the jobs in the tourism industry? I really don't know. Um, and and arguably you would think that you would see a decline in jobs in the tourism industry, um, especially after Wow Air went under since there were so many layoffs. Um, I mean, 27 people in the grand scheme of things isn't that many, um, but in such a small community it feels immense. Hmm. Um I mean, for example, when the banking crash happened a decade ago, mm-hmm. then the number of people in the country was demonstrably going down. Mm-hmm. So clearly this economic slowdown we've got right now is is not that bad. But we knew that anyway. Um, yeah, we read that in your article <laughs> from last week. Um, yeah, that the, that the economy has strangely or the people have strangely sustained themselves despite the downturn. There were some interesting... Um, Metrics cited um, low interest rates, low debt, um, especially low debt coming out of the economic boom where mm. people hadn't maybe maybe they learned their lesson uh, and didn't invest in large amounts of debt during the I mean, during the boom period. Right. That Iceland typically goes through. Yeah. I mean, when they talk about um, that, so 2007, you hear people say that. And they're talking about That's excessive, really... unnecessary spending, you know. Mm-hmm. And that debt bubble back then, it was people had houses that were too big, arguably. They had televisions that were certainly too big and cars <laughs> that were too big. And, yeah. and they didn't have Costco. And they didn't have Costco. Where no. they could buy a way too expensive television, by the way. Still too expensive. Are you, what <laughs> Compared to other retailers or just in... Iceland prices, you mean? Just in general. Um, I, You know, I, I work a good job and I know many people who work very good jobs and I'm uh, a single person household. Um, and I find that affording my rent, affording my groceries and then trying to buy extras on top of that is a real struggle, even with, I would say my wage is slightly, slightly above average. Mm. Um, I work in the private sector. but Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, True. People have been saying this 
forever. I mean, do you feel that things are perhaps moving in the right direction or are they moving at all um, in well, that regard? If the government is really, if it, if it takes this Rietur report seriously um, and takes some of the other warnings seriously, like the grey listing by the Financial Action Task Force, um, then there's this real possibility that they can take action to cultivate uh, individual welfare and household welfare, buyer welfare, um, and address some of the tax discrepancies. Mm. That's one of the key points in the in the collective bargaining negotiations this this spring was to not only rise, give people more money, but to to make the foundations of the tax system more sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and take a number of other measures. And the the cut in interest rates as well was promised by the government mm-hmm. back then. And then the central bank said, "Hang on, you can't promise this for us. We're independent." <laughs> But they've done it anyway, um, two or three times now. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the, the factors in that Landsbankin report that they're saying, yeah, low inflation. Oh, yeah, inflation, that's the one. Yeah, low interest rates, low inflation, mm-hmm. and the other thing. <laughs> ah, the <laughs> what other was the thing. other thing? We have to find the other low thing. Low un- no. Yeah, low debt. There we go. Low debt. Yeah. Low household debt or low government debt, was it? Both. Oh. Yeah. That's kind of nice. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And what I took most from that report was the fact that the guy that wrote it, the head of the economics department at Landsbankin, said it was unprecedented that Iceland Icelandic growth periods usually always end in a catastrophe of some sort, and this time it hasn't happened. Yeah, and that may be because the government has taken fiscal responsibility um, somewhat. Also, um, you know, I... I, I told you about this before the show, um, but I have a sl- a slight preoccupation with reading these press releases and um, research updates from a company called Standard & Poor's S&P Global. I think S&P Global is what it's called now. It's partly because I used to work there. Um, and in that in that report, they cited strong governance as this. This is again from 2018. This is before like, wow, really crashed. Um, And this was sort of when we were um, seeing the first signs that something bad was going to happen, right? Um, And were reassured by Scully Mollinson that it wouldn't happen. Um, But the main reason that they gave for Iceland's um, investment grade rating, I think, I don't remember the rating itself. It was a Double B something. Yeah, it was it was middle of the road, but it it really wasn't bad. Mm. Um, and and it was an indicator that Iceland's economy would be essentially stable in many ways, and that's largely because of government responses to economic stress and um, government accountability. Mm. Which I which I found to be very interesting because we know that Iceland is prone to these swings, and then the question is why this time. Um, did my bank account not go in the garbage bin? Um, <laughs> you know, um, and and I, I mean, I, I'm relieved to hear that all of these plans, this roadmap is in place for securing Iceland's economy, for um, batting down the hatches of its economic uh, institutions. Mm. And there's an argument to be made that it's a good thing I mean, no one wants a recession, but they're talking about a 0.4% um, fall in GDP this year. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of an opportunity to, you know, tap the brakes, let things cool down a bit, take stock 
and and then move on next year is is the way it, some people are seeing it. And if that can happen without catastrophe, then all the better. Mm-hmm. And it does seem like you know people are buying houses and the the wheels of the economy are very much still turning. Yeah. So yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. Right, where next? So we've done the economy. <laughs> um, we did touch briefly on the um, on the industrial action, which is pilots for Air Iceland Connect uh, not going to work any overtime or any extra shifts. They're, I think they call that working to rule, don't they? I don't know. It's called an overtime ban in Icelandic. Um, that's what they're doing. And the journalists as well. Mm-hmm. are going to go on strike this Friday mm-hmm. for the first time. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, the, the journal, I'm, I am a journalist, but I'm not in that union, I should say, for um, go on record there. They say that they're underpaid. Uh, the head of the journalist union says that journalists are the lowest paid university educated sector in Iceland. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, I did not fact check this. <laughs> no, well, um, but but I but I believe it. I believe that. I believe this assertion um, because I've I've heard it before, um, and actually two of my poetry colleagues <laughs> uh, left the either left a particular news outlet um, or they left the business entirely. One of them was working as a freelancer and was essentially offered um, pennies Mm. for her work um, for hours and hours of research and effort and never actually recovered that money. Um, And so she moved to a better company um, where she ended up with a contract. The other one just really got fed up um, and advised me actually at one point against uh, attempting to go into journalism here. My background is also in, also in journalism. Mm. Just for the record. Yep. <laughs> um, Noted. Yeah. Um. The Samtuk Atunalisins, the 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 Confederation of Icelandic Enterprise, has questioned that um, mm-hmm. that assertion and says actually they're somewhere in the middle. Um, but even so, they feel so they feel journalist wages are in the middle that's of the road. So they can't both be right. They cannot both be right. Anecdotally, I would say that my friends are right, <laughs> um, but I but I really don't know. Um, again, I haven't sort of looked at the statistics. Um, then again, when we're talking about university-educated groups in society, you can include preschool teachers, mm-hmm. um, grade school teachers, nurses, and they're all struggling as well, aren't they? <laughs> Famously. Yeah. yeah, especially the, the preschool and, kin- and kindergarten teachers, aren't they? Aren't they among the lowest I believe so. paid workers? Um, so maybe in, against that backdrop, maybe they are somewhere in the middle. But that doesn't mean that their claims are not valid. Certainly. Right. I agree. Yeah, I mean, it, it's intellectual labor and you should be paid for the amount of time that you put into something um, and somehow also measure the amount of effort that you put into it. And if that's not being taken into account and if it's not even really being acknowledged... Um, that then I believe in you know civil disobedience in um, driving someone to listen by basically not going to work for a couple of hours for a couple of days. I mean that really doesn't seem mm. it really doesn't seem like the harshest punishment um, to hold somebody to account in that way. But hopefully it's it's enough um, for them to feel like they are being 
paid for the labor that they're putting that they're putting in right if we if we think of um effort as something that can be measured in dollars and cents which sometimes it can sometimes it can't mm-hmm. in the workplace more often it can and yeah it should be yeah yeah um I had a very good point then that I've just forgotten. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. They, they they seem to be pretty serious about this. They are going to be reimbursing all of the striking journalists from their own um, contingency fund. That's and then if that dries up, then they've got the backing of all the Nordic um, unions as well that will top up that fund. So if it does go into the long term, then they, they're ready, ready to do so. So there's international so there's international support for this. Yeah. Is that we if the if the strike fund dries up, then the Swedish, Norwegian, Danish sister unions will top it back up again. That's actually that's actually quite remarkable mm. to me. Yeah. Um and that, that shows that this really has something behind it and something important that's affecting um that's affecting other nations. Um their their feelings toward us, the way that they look at us and maybe that will mean 25 people move to Iceland next July and not 27. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> right. So, yes, good luck to uh, to them. Ten months they've been negotiating, um, ostensibly with no progress whatsoever. So something has to give. And if it takes strike action... I wonder how they've been stalling. Um... Well, that's the thing. It's been with the with the state negotiator as well. It's not just two people, but, you know, it's... How can you ignore something for 10 months in a nation this small? I know. Can, <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like the construction outside of my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the grey listing. You mentioned that briefly as well. That was literally the result of ignoring things for months on end, I think. Um, yeah, and I, and I saw the promise that these things were being rapidly resolved. I saw this mentioned. Um, but th- I didn't see any specifics about how it was going to be resolved. And... Um, in my very limited knowledge, um, I don't feel confident that this will that this will fix itself by February. I don't I don't feel like we're going to get the strong laws and financial oversight that we need by February. But also, I don't sort of know what the interworkings are, what they're what they're planning, what the roadmap actually is or entails. No, I don't know the details of the demands being placed on the country, but they clearly weren't doing it quickly enough. Yeah. Yes. Um, let's move on. What now? Um, maybe Freya's court case or the government or the bishop. Sounds like the start of a joke. <laughs> a court case, a, a bishop. and <laughs> um, You pick. How about you pick? Well, I think the story about Freya uh, Haraldsdottir was a good one last week because it stimulated debate as I know she wanted it to. Mm-hmm. Um, the core of that story was that she applied a long time ago, I think. Let's see. So five years ago, she applied to become a foster parent. Um, and she was not accepted onto the course for prospective foster parents. Actually, her her local municipality, I believe, Gardabayr, accepted her. Mm-hmm. And then it was Bartner Vendestora, the um, Child Protection Services Agency, that runs the course, that then didn't admit her onto the course. She took that decision to court, saying it was discrimination mm-hmm. because she's disabled. Mm-hmm. And she's won now because it's gone to the appeals court and she's won mm-hmm. on the grounds of process and that she should have been treated the same as everyone else. Mm-hmm. 
she faced some criticism afterwards for because she is very disabled and there is certainly an issue certainly a question of if she would be able to take care of a child or not mm. and whether she was just poking at the system to word that um to quote directly she said no she wasn't it was it's an important matter for other people beside herself and that this sets a precedent for other disabled people in the future mm. good point I guess. I mean, yeah, I am in total agreement. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think that she really went out on a wing to establish, I mean, again, establish a precedent so that people with disabilities are not rejected out of hand, especially for a course that gives them the opportunity to learn about being a foster parent, to learn about what it will be like, um, what the duration will be. Um, that's, that's, it's, it seems like an odd thing to... It seems like an odd action to take, um, to not even sort of give someone the opportunity to educate themselves ahead of time. Mm. Um, I, I wonder what actually happens after that course. Yeah, I believe, no, I don't know specifically, but I think it's after they take the course that then the the approval or rejection of the final application happens. So just being on the course does not mean that you are definitely going to become a foster parent. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a good question of why that decision was made. I mean, is it discrimination or was it possibly just cost-cutting? You know, mm-hmm. Maybe it costs money to put people through this. Mm-hmm. And they thought it wasn't worth it in this case. And now the court has said, no, it is worth it. I don't know. Which is another thing that we're seeing running through all of these news articles. Um, I see a section here, and I'll, I'll just read it if you don't mind. Sure. The Supreme Court decided to accept the appeal request from Bartnaverdashtova, the Children's Protection Agency. What is it called? The Government Agency for Children's Protection. Yeah. Deciding that it would have future relevance in clarifying rules in the areas of constitutional law, administrative law, and children's law. And I think this is a theme that we're seeing run through all of these stories, right? That the laws haven't been sort of crystallized enough. They... Particular matters haven't been examined closely, and then the law has simply not been codified. Um, and so it seems completely natural to me that she would want to take this action to force the government to, I mean, to force the government to act. Mm. Um, yeah. And interestingly, the um, the agency that appealed the decision said afterwards that they weren't actually fighting against Freya. They were fighting against the previous, the wording of the previous verdict. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, so, and they actually welcomed, <laughs> they welcomed the verdict against them in the end. So it's <laughs> interesting one. Yeah, I'm wondering what the wording of the original verdict was. I wonder what they were objecting to, in particular. Um, yeah, that seems like an odd kind of. Sounds like an odd kind of cover your ass response. <laughs> um, I think I'm allowed to swear on this show, and I just did. That's fine. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if that's true, and 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 I don't want to be critical of the um, the head of Bartnevertastova for 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 stating that. Um, but but I would be interested in what the actual um, dissent was. Yeah. Um, and I was relieved to read that. Um, 
that she also felt that it created a valuable precedent for future cases and that it did have the intended effect of forcing them to, um, again, codify laws around um, foster parenting for you know people who may be disabled that apply. Yeah, I mean, clarity. Should it not be blind, perhaps, to some extent, the application process for that course, um, not not taking into uh, not taking into account, you know, race, religion, um, physical capabilities, things like this, mm. um, just so that you have the option of ultimately applying rather than being dismissed out of hand. That may be a little bit extreme of me, however. Well, I don't really know what the process is. I mean, an automatic yes for everybody to go onto the course is one option. Mm -hmm. But then you know you're going to have quite a lot of unsuitable people. Yeah. So the, there presumably is some vetting beforehand. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the, yeah, the criteria for doing that, I suppose, is partly what the court has now mm -hmm. helped clarify. Yeah. Which is always a good thing. Greater transparency. It's good for your credit score from S&P Global. <laughs> <laughs> this message was brought to you by... <laughs> <laughs> A giant corporation with private interests. <laughs> they usually are. Yeah. Okay. What so do we have left? We have barely any time left. Um, let's talk briefly. I know you said you weren't that into it, but since we've got so little time left, let's talk about the government quickly because they got voted in for four years. A lot of people thought they wouldn't make it to four months. And then somehow three parties managed to work together mm. <laughs> for, for like, what is it, halfway, halfway yes. through the term. So two years gone. Mm -hmm. And now, I don't know, you wouldn't put money against them making it all the way to four years. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. It's, it's remarkable that they seem to be friends still. It would seem that nothing really terrible has happened. There we go. That's the catchphrase for this show, I Which think. Is... <laughs> Nothing terrible has really happened yet. That, that's, yeah, that's the, that's the catchphrase for, for 2019, I think. Um, yeah, touche. It could be worse. <laughs> um, yeah, really, I haven't, I mean, I haven't seen anything remarkable in the news. Um, any sort of clamoring or loud disagreements. No. And... The three parties involved are not as popular now as they were when the election happened, but together, the government itself is roughly as popular as it's always been, about 50% approval, which is pretty high. Yeah. So I wonder how much of it is them doing a good job and how much of it is just that things are fairly stable right now, like you say, could be worse. Mm -hmm. Um. I don't know if they are. I don't know if they are doing a good job. Mm. Um, Catherine is popular. She's cool. <laughs> but as with so many leaders, look at Obama and 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 many leaders, Macron, uh, Trudeau. They have this great global image, but they might not always be popular at home. Mm. Like these, you know, the world loves Catherine. I'm not sure if Iceland does. Mm -hmm. I mean, probably does. I mean, and we also tend to take into account our immediate circumstances, right, rather than sort of larger government policy issues. So if it feels like things are working, you know, we're we're in a we're in a small recession, um, but we're not all broke. Um, we're not running to the banks to withdraw our money. Um, mm. We're not we're not in uncomfortable circumstances. And maybe um, 
Maybe people generally feel like that's uh like that makes the that like this three party coalition government is in some ways responsible for that. So it's fine to sort of leave them where they are. Um I don't know. Um Yeah, I agree. And they do seem to be like you say, working well together. Whether or not you agree with the policies of the parties involved and individual policy decisions, they they rub along just fine. They're getting certain things done, and yeah, it's kind of working. But that was surprising, you know. Before the election, um, two of the leaders said that they would never work together, mm. and then they did. They did. Yeah. Anything is possible. Lessons, lessons <laughs> for us all. <laughs> well, I think that's probably about enough. Plenty to talk about today. Um, quite politics heavy, but uh, I think we managed to. Liven it up. Um, look out for the special broadcast tomorrow called The Week in Iceland at the Library, in which a small audience will discuss the issues raised in this show. If you would like to take part either now or next month and will be available to get to the library at Kringlan in Reykjavik for 5pm either today or on Monday the 9th of December, then registration is open through the English pages of the Reykjavik City Library website and also through our Facebook the Week in Iceland at the Library will be on roof.is forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook, on the Roof app, and as a podcast, including on Spotify, tomorrow, the 5th of November. The Week in Iceland, meanwhile, will be back in its usual spot this time next week. A massive thank you to my guest Meg Matic, and thanks too to Lydia Gretasdottir for running the studio. As ever, we end on the number one song from the Raustur chart, and this week that is GDRN with Kvad er Austin. Bye for now. Rotland for orthin me Ur huga minum náði flugi Auðöll mín blöð En vangi veikti fegur þín Svo blað síður nú fylla tugi Urjar danslu Flutas pida or thirus.
He's so good.